as Rice takes the kick and they have got it in and it's William Saliba who wheels away in celebration it's Saka it's 2-0 Arsenal tighten their grip Rice sweeps in a free kick it's dangerous it's another one Whatever the weather, another Arsenal podcast. Listener, you join us on Tuesday the 13th of February following the Arsenal's emphatic 6-0 victory over West Ham United at the London Stadium. A win that puts us level on points and goal difference with Man City and on the heels of Liverpool. As usual, listener, I'm joined by Dan and by James. How are you guys doing? 6-0 to the Arsenal. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it wasn't a bad weekend, was it? It's all right. Had worse. <laughs> <laughs> Is that your contribu- contribution then, Dan? Yeah, pretty much. That's... Oh, nice. All right. Yeah. Football's yeah. Not too bad. <laughs> I would just like to say at this point, if you cannot over-celebrate an away win like that, when can you? <laughs> this is what football is all about. This is what it's for. I yeah. can't remember us. I, I Well, off the top of my head, I can't remember many... Uh, Away wins as emphatic, league away wins particularly yeah. that have been as emphatic as that. Uh, a game that had banana skin written all over it uh, yeah. was uh, very well dealt with. So yeah, yeah, and of course that was our biggest away victory since uh, 1935, which is uh, yeah. I don't, I don't really remember that one. Don't no, really remember no. that one. There's been a few. We've 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 had a few emphatic away wins in Europe. I remember in, in the cups and the, obviously a. Uh, was it a 6-5 or 7-6 or something like that over Reading in the League Cup? Obviously conceded a few goals and we beat Standard Liège 7-0 in 1994. Um, yeah, <laughs> apart from a few fours in the league, I can't really remember any uh, of the big league well, there wins. Was, there was that game at Everton a few years ago. Uh, first game of the season. First game of the season, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think it was, what, 6-1? You're right, yeah, yeah. Well, well blimey. Yeah, and the Nilsson scoring a, a banger yeah. in that game, actually. Yeah. It's quite similar to Declan Rice's the way it bent in, actually. Yes, yes, it, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, very good comparison. And <laughs> the manager of that team was David Moyes. So, uh, oh, <laughs> oh I wonder actually, was Mikel Arteta playing in that game for Everton? Oh, my god, oh, that's a, that's a good I shout. wonder. Listener, if you know the answer to that question, write in on a postcard. So uh, before the game began, um, I remember us all sort of WhatsApping each other about the lineup, um, in particular about the bench. And I think the the light uh, the you know the the lineup was sort of more notable by those who were missing than those who were included. Um, Zinni wasn't playing, Jesus wasn't playing, Tommy wasn't there, and. God knows where party is at this point. 
I mean, I think with the lineup, I I think if you spoke to any Arsenal fan beforehand, I'm not saying they would have been absolutely devastated, but would have been a bit perturbed. I mean, Jorginho not being in the starting lineup, I think I understood it from a tactical standpoint, but it turned mm. out he hadn't actually trained that week and so probably wasn't ready. But I understood it, but was still a bit upset about it because mm. of the game he had uh, the week before. Um, mm. But yeah, he hadn't trained, so he couldn't have started anyway. Um, I would say like no one expected that scoreline. Um, did you expect 6-0? I, I mean, I certainly didn't. I mean, Dan, did you expect 6-0? No, no, I didn't expect 6-0, but I, I have seen it coming. I have seen... A walloping. Do you coming. mean that in terms of you see us in terms of us scoring a lot of goals, or in terms yeah. of how West yeah. Ham have been playing recently? No, no, no. The, the way we've been playing, uh, I mm-hmm. think it was coming. Um, even in the game, apart from the Fulham game, even in the previous West Ham game, I felt we did enough to take our chances and score three or four. In the other games we've played, we've created chance after chance, and I think this result was coming. I'm not saying I predicted it to be against West Ham away because. I'm not going to lie. I was quite nervous. It was, mm. as you put it, potential banana skin, you know, and would have completely eliminated the work we did the week before. Um, it was a massive... It was result. a must-win game, wasn't it? Must-win. Was. As probably every game is going to be well, now. I mean, from now on, they are, aren't yeah. they? <laughs> and I mean, yeah. So, as I said, I'm not saying I expected it at that moment, but it wasn't a massive shock to me because of the way we've been playing and the chances we've been creating. Um just so happened West Ham to be on the end of it. And um, yeah, it was quite sweet. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So before we get into the game, I just want to say, because I know, and this is probably going to be James, he's going to say, well, West Ham are really shit. And yeah, they were really shit. But this is not Forever Blowing Bubbles, another West Ham podcast where we're going to talk about how <laughs> shit West Ham are. We're True. going to talk about how fucking good we were. We were. And what a great yep. performance it was. I, I don't mean this, but that performance, that result was fantastic. Mm. To come off the Liverpool win, to go away from home to West Ham, where City and Liverpool had both won the day before, and we needed to maintain, we needed to maintain momentum. And we did, and we went there, and not only did we get the three points, we destroyed them. And do you know what? I was so pleased. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I just want to say no one <laughs> underestimate what an amazing, do, do you amazing know what? result that was. Do you know what? I think it's not only the fact that we destroyed them. I think it's the manner in which we destroyed them. You know, it was the, you know, it was where the it goals It could have been 10. It <laughs> could have been 10. It could have been 10. You lucky bastards. It could have been 10. <laughs> I mean, it did. I mean, it did take thirty. It did take thirty-two minutes for us to do that. I mean, it, did, it, it did. We had some chances. Um, Trossard had an amazing chance. Um, well, Saka as well. I mean, yeah, I, I felt. Too, I felt like. So... I felt like we. We and and that is a worry with Arsenal is that you can be when we can be quite wasteful in front of goal. Mm. And it was that moment. I think Alan Smith said it on commentary. You know, if where's your thirty goal a season striker because you know you play yeah, that yeah. chance. Although with the chance, I think it was. I think it was a header for Trossard. I don't think it was routine by any stretch, but. Um, I think the, the general feeling is that when you pass up those amount of chances, you don't have that killer instinct. Whereas you look at a team like Man City, 
with mm. their robotic center forward <laughs> and they, they they do really punish teams early on so it was it was yeah. great how the game panned out in the end and, and obviously we took our chances really well and we are as i mentioned the set piece kings we are the stoke mm. of the south uh or yep. a, a far more sexier beautiful easy on the eye <laughs> stoke on the south um but look no i mean i i thought i thought that we we um we obviously dominated the game. And I think once you, once you put West Ham on the back foot like that and you put them under real pressure offensively um, and they have to chase the game to get back into it, they're there for the taking. And that was clearly what happened uh, on Sunday. It's now time, listeners of Forever, I'm Forever Blame Bubbles, the West Ham podcast, for us to wax lyrical about how good, how good your former captain and Arsenal's £105 million central midfielder, Declan Rice, is. Um, oh, what a peach of a goal. Oh we enjoyed God. that, didn't we? We enjoyed that. Dan, you were calling, you were saying after the last game against West Ham, you said on the last podcast that we need a big game from Declan Rice, not for him mm. to be chasing the game well. Did you get yeah. did you get what you wanted? He dunked on him. Have some of that. Uh, they had the audacity true. to boo him. To boo him. They booed yeah. him quite a lot, didn't they? Yeah, I mean, look, don't yeah. get me wrong. I think... I think was that before or fans... after they were all streaming out after 35 yeah. minutes? I mean, just yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think <laughs> most West Ham fans are very respectful. I mean, during the game, the game's a game, isn't it? You, yeah, it was you, quite you, pantomime. Yeah, it is pantomime. You, you, mm. It is what it is. I think in general, they're quite respectful of Declan Rice and respect what he's done for them. Um, and he was extremely classy and not celebrating that goal. Um, I wish I was that classy in life. I would have uh, taken off my top and <laughs> ran around swinging it, saying, fuck you all, you bastards. But Declan Rice was fantastic, and I think a lot of people's man of the match. But for me, I thought it was Martin Odegaard, personally. I thought he was phenomenal. I mean, if you're talking about a creative midfielder performance, uh, he, he had it all. He was just everywhere. His passes through the lines, beating players his weight of pass he just had everything about him and um yeah i thought it, there was obviously a load of names we could say was man in the match but odegaard was was fantastic um i loved what trossard did you know him playing in the force night i think we've called for it on this podcast um and it, it showed that it worked he picked up positions which are really good he was dropping deep spraying the ball um worked really well and there was a bit more fluidity in our attack as opposed to having Inketia there where it's not quite as fluid. Um and then yeah, I mean with Havertz I, there's so much debate around Kai Havertz and what he brings to the team and is it enough for the amount of money that we spent. Uh he's the highest paid at the club so we should be expecting more from him in terms of output contributions and stuff like that. But I think if you just eliminate all that and watch his game, he had a good game, you know, again, still safe in places and stuff like that, but I love his movement. And I know that's such a cop out to say like, you know, if he's not doing output, then you're coming up with shitty things to try and justify him in the team. Right. But he's always there. He's picking up the second balls and he keeps us going and he keeps the ball moving in the right direction and his runs, he's just there to attack the box and he's done that really well. I mean, he's not always on the end of it, but he's, he's a problem for, for guys. Uh, you know, he's a, an extra headache for that defender when he comes crashing into the box. And so, um, 
you know, really pleased with Kai. I think he is finding his feet, as you mentioned, James. And um, yeah, and obviously Starboy oh, at your peril. That's all I'm saying. The thing I loved about about Saka's, I mean, the penalty is a penalty. Seeing Saka score a penalty is obviously wonderful to see. One thing I read <laughs> for numerous reasons. Interestingly um, on that, just before you, we, you go sure. on, the, 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 the thought about Saka is that he's not a prolific penalty taker. Mm. He's taken, I believe, eight penalties for Arsenal. He scored seven. So he's only missed one, which was the one against West Ham last year. Mm. Oh, of um, course, yeah. It's obviously the England one sticks in people's mind, but yeah, sorry. Of course, That's yeah. I mean, no, the, re- the balls of that though, right? Mm. I missed here last season. Won the penalty. Yeah, like, so far, I'm going to do it. Don't yeah, worry, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've fucking got this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because when I was watching that, I was expecting... Balls. I, some reason I was expecting Odegaard to, to, to take that, which... You know, uh, is what it is. But the thing I was going to say, the uh, Saka's uh, second goal, um, you know, I've watched it a few times. I mean, you could say a lot about the the uh, the, the the West Ham defensive setup there because it was really incredibly poor. Um, they just kind of just let him cut through them. Um, but yeah, fantastic goal. We've seen Saka play out wide and kind of hog that touchline and give that fullback a, a terrible time. But when he plays it, when he gets into those spaces inside, yeah, he is dangerous, Dude, and he can definitely, finish. Definitely, and once he gets into those spaces, Odegaard tends to fight him, and then the thing I will say about Saka, I'm going to eulogise about him for a couple of minutes. So bear with me, listener. But you know what? This is a bit of uh, Saka loving that. If you're a true Arsenal fan, you will you will indulge in this. Um, we've been so fortunate with this guy. You know, he's got 51 goals, 49 assists. For Arsenal, 100 goal contributions in just over 200 appearances. Um, this is a kid that's come straight out of the academy. He's never had more than two bad games in a row. He is just relentless. We have, you know, we call him the star boy and this, that, and other. We have unearthed a world-class talent through our academy. And we should absolutely protect him, get around him, and appreciate what a player he actually is. And you know what sets him apart from, from a, 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 just a very good player? It's his resilience. His resilience yeah. in his balls. His balls mm-hmm. to take that penalty, but his resilience that he misses a chance. He's back there trying to get another one. He's constantly running at the defender. He's constantly trying to commit plays in the box. He's constantly working hard off the ball. He's doing all the things you want a wide forward to do. And he does it again and again and again. He gets an absolute kick in. He comes back. Give me more. Is that all you got? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. He's just he's just got that on. He's got that about him. Um, yeah, there was a couple of, of, of bad misses in this game. There was a bad miss in the Liverpool game. But in the Liverpool game, he missed a, he missed an easy header. He came back, he scored the rebound, following him from Kai Havertz. In this game, he missed a good chance at the back post. He came back in again. He won the penalty and then stuck it away. The second goal, like you say, bad defending by West Ham. But that was, we've spoken about this before, the truly elite left-footed wide forwards. So we're talking Iron Robin, Lionel Messi, um, those guys, you know what they're going to do. You know what they're going to do. They're going to get the ball. They're going to shift it on their strong foot and they're going to try and score or whip a ball into the back post. And there is nothing you can do about it. I'm telling you now, Bakaya Saka is cut from the same cloth. And there is no doubt in my mind now that he is one of our best players and he plays. Simple as that. I yeah. it was an outstanding performance. And, you know, not only was he razor sharp, we've got the old Martinelli back as well. He's 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 got the feeling back, the taste of blood, mm. the taste of goals is coming back. He was darting in behind the fullback. He didn't get on the score sheet, 
in this game, but his performance against Liverpool was, I thought, was phenomenal. Um, and I thought he was back at it against West Ham. Um, and I wonder, I wonder, and this is maybe a little bit of a discussion point, I wonder if knowing, if Martinelli knowing that he had a stable left-back who wasn't going to leave him in Kirior, and mm. Kirior wasn't going to venture too far forward or come into the, you know, doing that inverted fullback stuff, I wonder if he thought, you know what, I've got my left back's going to be solid behind me. I've got yeah. the freedom to do what I want going forward. If that's what unlocked him a little bit, I don't know. But obviously, Trossard was drifting inside and out, and Havertz was drifting inside and out. I just the fluidity of our attack, I think, was really, really good, really, really promising. And I, I yeah, I, I'm really positive as we look forward from here. But I thought, yeah, big up Jacob Kirior because I, I had my doubts over him. I still have my doubts over him. Mm. You know, this is a kid. He's what 22, 23, Polish kid. Um, not sure he's a great centre back. But you know what? When Julian Timber comes back, when Tommy Asu comes back, we've got options there. Ben White, obviously, yeah, centre back by trade. Um, oh, we we probably don't have to rely solely on Kivio, but I thought Kivio mm. was he was solid. He, he was his left back. He would drift into mm. the left sided centre back position when needed to. He allowed Ben White to get forward. I thought Ben White again just people always said about Gary Neville that he was a seven out of ten player, and that's what you want. Well. Ben White's a seven and a half out of ten. Then you know he's just missed the <laughs> consistency. Um, yeah, I mean with Ben White, I um I was giving him some stick a bit earlier on in the season. I didn't think he was at his best. Um, I, I thought he was not meet, reaching the levels that he had last season. But I think these past few games, especially Ben White, is back to his best. And mm, I yeah, thought it was yeah. a great tactical tweak on Mikel's part having Kivio there as a left-back, but having him stay where he is and having um, Ben White um, inverting. And I mean, it was, you know, Ben White has that experience as a DM, not tons of, but he's more comfortable in midfield than, say, a, a Jakob Kivio would be. And so he had loads of touches and he kept it moving. It was a really, really good performance from Ben White and I'm happy to see him reaching those levels again. Um, overlapped when he could and... Um, yeah, it's uh, fantastic. And as good as game Ben White had, um, I just want to talk about Gabriel Saliba. Um, again, both imperious. Uh, they're the best partnership in the league. And we're so lucky to have them. I mean, a combined cost of, what, 50 million? Mm. You have people paying that for just one mediocre centre-back at the moment. You know, just think, Spurs got Davidson Sanchez. For the same amount we got Gabriel Saliba for. Wow. Yeah. You put it like yeah. that. But Nicky Van der Ven is the fastest player in the world. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good for him. Oh, my God. I know. I mean, yeah, Gabriel especially has been fantastic this season. And um, I think he's finally getting uh, his flowers. Mm. And people are recognizing what a top, top defender he is. Um not just defensively, though, um, attacking as well, getting those important goals. Um, as you said, we're set-piece kings, so it's great to have um, centre-backs that can get on the end of them, and Gabriel is that in abundance. Um, yeah, and the stat that I heard was that since Gabriel signed, he scored the most goals from set-pieces, um, which is 14. And the crazy thing is, the nearest one are actually free kick takers like James Ward-Prowse and stuff mm. like that. So, I mean, yeah, um, his attacking ability from set pieces is is 
a great weapon to have and uh, long may it continue. He, yeah, I mean, look, I make you right. What an amazing signing he's been. And uh, um, far be it from me to swear on this podcast, but, you know, you think of all the successful teams that have won the league in the past, have had great goal contributions from centre-back. You think Son mm-hmm. Campbell for us, uh, Vincent Company for Man City. As I said, I didn't want to swear, but John Terry from Chelsea was a prolific goal no, scorer. Don't ever mention that guy's name on our podcast ever again. Okay. <laughs> Just not allowed. Come on, man. But yeah, but it's exactly my point that, you know, those great teams had great goal scoring defenders and could get them out of jams when they needed or break the deadlock when teams were playing a low block, which we come up against quite a lot um, and struggling to break them down. A set piece goal. Um, So, yeah. So, yeah. So moving on, we... um... Uh, we spoke earlier about our concerns about the bench and about the starting lineup in general. Um, there were some nice, well, I don't know. How do you guys feel about the substitutions? So we bought off Rice and Saka on 67 minutes and replaced them with El Nenny and Nelson, respectively. Nelson, I thought it did really good. El Nenny, I just like to see on the field anyway because he's El Nenny and, you know, you know. Egyptian Pirlo. Let him <laughs> just let him out, man. Yeah, I'm, I'm must admit, I forgot he was alive. I'm supposing it's this is the El Nenny farewell tour, isn't it? As we, we wind down towards the end of his contract. Um, yeah. not the only one on a farewell tour, is it? With uh Cedric getting an opportunity off the bench. I suppose Ooh. you know you know you've really been battered when Arsenal bring out all the big guns in <laughs> El Nenny and Cedric off the bench. Um I know that there's a lot of people on, on social media and uh, a couple of our uh, friends who who got very wound up that we brought on Cedric rather than uh, Raul Waters, um, but having already brought on Ethan Noeri, um, who was our youngest ever player when he came on um, against Brentford last season, I mm. think you've got to be respectful of some of the senior players. Um, whilst yeah. I am not a huge fan of Cedric, I'm not a huge fan of Elneny. I'm not part of that fan club, unlike uh, Dan over here, but. Um, <clears throat> You know what? They're they're senior players, senior pros. They have a presence in the squad. You've got to keep people yep. happy. I don't think you can just completely mug them off by bringing on a couple of sixteen-year-olds in there. You know, and That's overlooking true. them. Yeah. Um. And you know what? If 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 in the worst case scenario, when we we are hit by an injury crisis or suspensions or whatever, you know, they may be needed. You may need them, and they are senior mm. players. At the end of the day, they are getting a wage. They're here with us at the end of the season. Um. Yeah, I think the substitute was pretty nondescript. It was a case of the game had been won, which is brilliant. We got to rotate a little bit, which is something we'd all been asking for. It's really good to see a player like Noeri um, come off the bench because I think he is a top, top youth talent. He was born in March 2007, James. Yeah, I know. March 2007. Makes you feel sick. (laughs) But I think, do you know what? He's a real, he's he's seen as a real top youth prospect. and you know, interestingly, we had a we had a, a player that came through the ranks a couple of years ago who left to go to Chelsea in Amari Hutchinson. Ah, of course. Um, yeah. And he's he's currently on loan at Ipswich, and his brother's been quite active on social media about him not getting a chance and Arteta not playing young players. And there's been a lot of stuff spoken about because Liverpool quite recently have, have started to blood a few of their academy players. And mm. I think really since we had the Smith Rowe Nelson Saka generation and Inketia with, with us at Arsenal, we we haven't seen so much, but. Noeri is, is clearly a huge prospect that they're very keen to give minutes to. I know when he signed his new deal uh, last year, it was because there was there was rumours that Man City and Chelsea and, and Liverpool were sniffing around. So look, great to time down, great to give him a few minutes. I thought he looked really composed when he came on, not like a 16-year-old. I think back to what I was like 
all those years ago. And I was going to say, I man. wasn't a professional footballer. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I can't imagine what it would have been like. To what are you doing? You're the, 16. Uh, he's he's the Luke. Yeah. Lit- he's the Luke Littler of uh, the Arsenal squad. I suppose the only um, thing that would be similar that, to me as a 16 year old, if I came on playing for Arsenal, it had been in front of nobody. Also, and I think by the time that Nueri came on, there was no one left in the Olympic Stadium either, was there? Because oh. all the West Ham fans had, had decided to uh, to uh, booger off. True. Um, yeah. But yeah, no, that, I, I think the subs was, was pretty routine. As I said, I, I, great to see Nueri get Did some you say minutes. Mark booger off? Uh, I, I said to booger off, but yeah, I mean, you could use you could use Mark Boogers as a little bit of a reference there. Again, as I said, <laughs> listener, thank you for listening to the uh, I'm Flipper Boeing Bubbles another West Ham hey, podcast. that's good Absolutely. knowledge, man. Um, is, I wasn't reading yeah, for that. Yeah, yeah. And I'm not cutting that out, by the way. Listen, <laughs> but look, listen, I mean, listener, that is not being cut out. Ultimately, ultimately, um, fellas, I think the, the, the tagline is look, the, the damage was done in that first half. Obviously, yeah. going forward and up at halftime was wonderful. Great to see us not take the foot off the pedal in the second half and really kick on and, and have those extra couple of goals. Um, yeah. Different goal scorers. So, Amazing to see Rice get on the score sheet because I think he yeah. really felt it after the the home defeat to West Ham um, because he gave away a penalty at the end, although albeit Raya saved it, but he probably tried too hard in that game to prove something. Um, I thought it was imperious, like we said. Um, Saka was great. Martelli was great, didn't score. Trossard's goal was wonderful. Look, we're in a rich vein of form now. Um, yeah. Back I from think, Dubai, I think the... it's amazing what a bit of vitamin D can do for you, isn't it? I think absolutely in Dubai, but I actually, I think the next thing that we need to see is... Um... All the can we see all the fans leaving uh, leaving Turf Moor at half time as well? It would be nice. It would be nice. I mean, look, we're on a, we're, as I said, if we we're can do that, that twice in a row, then you know, you know, we're yeah, done. You I know, mean, we're doing I, the right I, thing. I mean, no, look, I feel like Burnley uh, fans are proper fans. They'd stay till the end. Oh, <laughs> what, you mean they used to get their team BB every week since so their stone cold bottom of the league? All that, yeah. Um, look, I mean, there's a, a was just saying there, you know, look, since that mid-season break in Dubai, after going out of the FA Cup, we've had four games, um, Palace, Boris, Liverpool, West Ham. We've won all of them. We knew that Liverpool would be the game that we all be looking towards. Um, I think we're back in the title race. Unfortunately, City and Liverpool don't think they're going to be letting up. Um, I thought Paul Merson made a great comment uh, post-game saying that it's going to be really important when the timing of your games are. Um, that if you play second, you know, it, it heaps those of pressure on you. Um, obviously, we've got Burnley away on Saturday, a, a traditional three o'clock game, quite a rarity. Ooh, but we've got an opportunity to post to, to post a result and and to put the pressure on the other team. So, yeah, if we can make it five in a row, it would uh, would go a long way to uh, keeping us on this march, wouldn't it? Yeah. Do you think we can score seven goals against Burnley? Just. You know, it sounds so cliche to say, I'll take one nil all the way through, mate. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. Keep to, be fair, one nil. to be fair, dude, I said the same thing about the West Ham game as, uh, uh, as well. So yeah. I want 10. I want 10. You want 10. That's about, it. Yeah. You want your 10. Well, listen, we, we, we need to be progressing as a team. And I think we need to build on that. You go six and then the next game you go for 10. I don't yeah, see why yeah. not. Yeah. It's, it's interesting in, in all my years supporting <laughs> Arsenal and speaking to many other people as well. As I said, I, as you said at the top of the show, Remember us getting a few sevens, um, particularly at home, um, but never an eight. Mm. I look back at Arsenal's records. We haven't scored eight for 
forever, pretty much. Um, I think our biggest ever win was 12-0 against Loughborough Town in like the 1910s or something. But um, <laughs> mighty Loughborough Town. Only, only you would know but, that, James. But wouldn't it be our be, biggest would, defeat that against was, Loughborough that was, Town? That was, that was, it is against Loughborough Town, yes. That's interestingly courtesy <laughs> of the official illustrated Arsenal history uh, as written by Martin Tyler and I forget the other guy's name. Um, oh, anyway, the point is yeah. it, we, we haven't scored eight in a game. Look, all jokes aside, if we can get a win in a clean sheet, I'll take that and we can rotate the squad a little bit. And then we obviously go into the Champions League Porto away. So, um, oh, yeah. yeah. And then if you look at our next few games on paper, we've got, as I said, Burnley away, Porto away in the Champions League, then Newcastle at home, which is a Saturday night game. But uh, again, an opportunity to yeah. dish out a bit of good revenge on them. Um, and then we've got Sheffield United away. Brentford at home and then Porto at home. So it's it's not the worst on paper. Mm. That's not a bad run of games. Um, and we are banging form at the moment, fellas. We are yeah, banging form. We definitely yeah. are. This definitely. is the thing. It's like, those are all winnable games. And if you asked me before, I'd say we win all of those games. But if we do win all of those games, that would put us on like an 11-game winning streak. We're on four. Ooh. Now, an 11-game yeah. winning streak is... I don't know. If it's a City or a Liverpool, then you'd go, yeah, that's what they do. Uh, ding, 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 ding. May I come in and say that in 2001-2, when Arsenal went on to win the league, we won 13 games in a row, which at the time was a record to yeah. win to win, to win, win the to win the double. Um, obviously, City have surpassed that and Liverpool have surpassed that. And they've, you know, they've set the bar so high. Um, but I guess, Dan, and I totally get what you're saying, to, to have an 11-game winning streak and that will only take us up to what? the end of March, beginning of April, it would it would feel like, wow, we've gone too soon. But that's that's what the level is now. That's what the level is. There's no mm-hmm. there's no room for error, is there? I think our, No, we, there we, isn't. We we also no. we spoke on our Absolutely first not. podcast back after Christmas, after those four winless games, albeit one of those was in the FA Cup, that the margin for error is gone now. And I think we I think I speak for all of us by saying, you know, City look look, look quite daunting. Um Liverpool I don't think are just going to go away. Obviously they've got the the oversubspoken about Jurgen Klopp farewell tour. Um, we've got our own farewell <laughs> tour, though, as I said, with Elneny and Cedric. So let's hope that our boys are on the right <laughs> end of it. But yeah, we march on to Burnley on Saturday. Um, nothing less than three points will do. Nothing less. It's been great, lads, as always. Speak soon. Thank Speak you soon. for listening to uh, I'm Forever Blowing Bubbles, another West Ham podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Who put the ball in the West Ham net? Who put the ball in the West Ham net? Who put the ball in the West Ham net? Half our fucking team did. Thanks for listening to Whatever the Weather, another Arsenal podcast. If you didn't think we were talking absolute nonsense and want to hear more from us, you can follow us on social media at Twitter and Instagram at WTW1985 or simply search Whatever the Weather.